0: You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. But let's turn our Bibles this morning. We are going to deliver this message this morning to uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. And um, as you're turning there again, we we started this study. This is part two of a study entitled "In Time Insights. And if... Uh, if you're a human being, you have the curiosity, like I do, about tomorrow. We, we hear some events, uh, we hear some news, such as recently some news relating to Iran and a military leader, a bad guy that we, we took out, and when we, we, we hear that, a lot of people go, oh, okay, what next? That's, that's part of, of human nature. We want to know. What's next? We want to know about our tomorrow. The Bible is not silent when it comes to the future. The Bible is not silent as it relates to the end. As we come to to really even chapter two of Second Peter, where Peter began to talk about, you know, just false teachers and, and false teaching. Just things that would creep into the church and even draw people away. We've we got to remember, he, he's not just writing a chapter and then a few years later he's writing another chapter. No, this is le- a letter that if you were to just sit down and read second, Peter's second letter, you could read it in several minutes. But, but he's talking about false teaching and false teaching, trying to warn the church that's going through so much opposition and persecution. And then he just kind of swings the pendulum and he focuses on the future. And, and he's like, hey, here's, here's some things that are going to happen in the future. And in verse 10, he uses a phrase that we might read it, just kind of glance over it, and it's this phrase that says, the day of the Lord. And when we hear that, in our minds, we think about a day, that that the Lord is going to be doing something. But as we, we, we support that phrase, as it's used in other places throughout the Word of God, we realize it's not so much a day, it's speaking about a time. It's talking about a period of time at the end of time. And when we we study the Bible and we begin to study the end of time, the end of history as we know it, there's a a term for that. It's called eschatology. In the Greek, eschatos. Eschatos is the end. And when we look at the end, as the Bible describes the end, it's eschatology. So if someone were to come to you as a Christian and say to you, okay, well, well, what does the Bible say about the end? There are a lot of people that are curious today about the end of the world. We have people talking about the end of the world will be the result of global warming. The the end of the world will be the result of a nuclear war. They have all kinds of views as to how the world could end. But what does the Bible say about the end? We shouldn't be ignorant about this. We should actually be informed and listen and be excited about what the Bible has to say About the end. Now, when we hear this phrase, the day of the Lord, it it encompasses a period of time in the end of times. So these things that that phrase refers to have not yet come to pass. So the events that all make up this title, the day of the Lord, It begins with the rapture of the church. We talked briefly about that in our last study a couple weeks ago, or however long ago it was. And then it it also involves what will happen after the rapture of the church. We'll talk a a bit about all of this today. But it involves the, 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 the tribulation period. It involves the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it involves the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. That's what, whenever you see the word, the phrase, the day of the Lord, that's what the Bible is referring to. So, when we, when we come to the, you know, idea of the end, the end of history as we know it, Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, he kind of goes to the end of the end. He doesn't go to the beginning. Hey, here's like how these things are going to start. No, he goes right to the very end. He starts talking about like, yeah, the day of the Lord. But then he, he goes right to the end of that where there's going to be even a new creation, A new created heavens and a new created earth. And so, as I've taught through the Bible for 35 plus years now, I realize that when we come to these passages uh, that have to do with our eschatology, with biblical eschatology, that there are a lot of people that they're they're just not quite informed. I find that when I go to funerals today, and I do funerals, there are people that aren't informed about life and death, about eternity. We are living in a day and a time where a lot of churches, when it, it comes to topics that might be a little tough to study, teach, and share with others, I would just kind of, you know, we're going to go around that. Some of you might have went to churches for years, and every time they came to any kind of passage that dealt with the end times, they just skirted around that or explained that away. Well, in Bible teaching churches today, we should be walking through the Word of God bringing clarity to these passages. So I thought it was important that we didn't just go to the end, as Peter did, and start talking about, like, the new heavens and the new earth, because that's, like, the very end of the end times, but that we would kind of, let's, let's start at the beginning of the end of the end times. And really, that begins with, with what Jesus would say when he was on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. And in and, and Matthew chapter 24, and, and he, he's with them, and he looked over at the, the temple, the temple mount. And at that time, the, the temple still stood. It was exactly where Solomon had built it. Uh, Herod the Great, known as Herod the Great for the great building that he did, had, had completely remodeled the temple and made it something that it became one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was magnificent. And so Jesus looks over at that temple and he's he's going to predict something that is going to happen in the near future. And he says to the guys, maybe to get their attention. Maybe to wake them up a little bit. Because sometimes we're so thinking about today, we're not mindful of tomorrow. He's like, hey, hey guys, you know, look at that temple. Not one stone is going to be left upon another. It's coming down. And that gets the disciples to ask this question in, in, in the Olivet the Discourse there, like, okay, tell us, when will, when will these things be? And, and, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Ah. And Jesus goes again. He responds with, first of all, when it comes to the end of the age... And he he was talking to Jews, and he really goes into that whole mindset with Jews in mind, his people in mind. He's like, don't be deceived. In in the end of the age, there's going to be all kinds of people running around saying they are the Messiah. They're your Savior. And just just understand that. Don't be deceived by them. Then he says, you're going to hear of wars and, and rumors of wars. He's like, don't be troubled by that. Because these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. These are like birth pangs. For nation will rise against nation. Kingdom's gonna rise against kingdom. And there's gonna be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. I got, I got an app on my phone. I don't even know if I loaded that app on my phone, but it, it picks up earthquakes. And I was coming down to teach the first study, and my phone was buzzing, buzzing. There's an earthquake in Brea this morning. Don't, just a small one, but it, enough to buzz my phone. There's gonna be earthquakes in various places. All of these things are the beginning of sorrow. It's leading up to something. And then in verse 9, you're going to be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Interesting. Verse 10, you, you, many are going to be offended. Many are going to betray one another and hate one another. Hmm. Things that will mark the beginning of the end. Then many false prophets will rise up, just like Peter talked about. In 2 Peter chapter 2. And they're going to deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel that I've I, about me and my salvation, the gospel of the kingdom, will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. He wasn't done. In verses 37 through 39, he actually says, Hey, in the end times, it will be just like it was in the days of Noah. And what was that? That people just eating and drinking and marrying, acting like life is just always going to be happening in the way it is, but then judgment comes. When they least expect the judgment, it will come. But then he says other things. He says in verse 32 and 34 of Matthew 24, he's like, hey, these events will happen in the generation that sees Israel become a nation once again. This is how he says it. Don't miss this. Now, now learn this parable from the fig tree, a symbol of the nation of Israel. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, speaking of it becoming a nation once again, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all of these things, know that it is near at the doors, speaking again of Jesus' second coming. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. but My word, it is not going to pass away. So let me just summarize that. Jesus is saying, guys, you asked the question about the end, the end of the age. And I want you to know there's going to be some telltale signs. And in the end of the age, Israel who was, as he was talking to them, a nation with a temple, with daily sacrifices, looking over at the temple. But just in a few short years, listen, in 70 A.D., just a few short years, Rome would would overthrow Jerusalem and they would tear down the temple and the Jews would be dispersed, the Dyspora, spread out even around the world. But one day, they will come back, and one day they will be a nation once again, and it will be in the end of the age. So be looking for these things. The generation that sees that, when do they become a nation once again? Well, let me just—I'm going to give you guys a lot of scriptures today. If you'd like to, like, have and this is a summary, here's the, here's the like 35 years of key verses that God has given me through my studies that will give you a timeline and just a clear understanding to accurate biblical eschatology. Ezekiel chapter 36. You just write that down. Simple. Ezekiel 36. This is a prophecy talking about the end of the age. And God is telling Ezekiel that one day in the future, the, the, the people will be brought back to a land. In order for them to be brought back to the land, they're going to have to be taken out of the land. But they will be brought back to a land, in Ezekiel chapter 36, that I will bless again. And this is how they'll know that I blessed it. It will abound. The mountains and the deserts will spring forth fruit and flowers. Okay? In the last probably 50 years, Israel, once again, has become the chief leading exporter of, of of fruits and flowers to all of Europe. They they can't even explain why the desert is blossoming like it blossoms in these days, in this generation. I've been there a couple of times where we've driven through right after the rain and the desert looks like a carpet. It's just gorgeous, okay? But then you get, and and, and he begins to talk about this this idea that, that I'm gonna bring my people back and I'm gonna multiply them. He's going to bring them back to the land. And he talks about how he's going to restore them as a nation once again. So we move all the way through Ezekiel chapter 36, all the way through to really chapter 38. They're back in the land. And I'll I'll leave this for maybe next week. They're back in the land. They are a nation once again in the end times. Go through Ezekiel 38. Just write that and look for the word end times. You'll see it twice. He's talking about this happening in the end times. And what you're going to see in Ezekiel chapter 38 is an amazing thing. I believe it could be happening right before our very eyes right now. I'm not a calendar setter. I'm not a prophecy predictor. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. But there will be, once they come back to the land, there will be an invasion. And and you begin to read chapter 38 and it will describe this area of, Ma, of Gog and Magog. And it's speaking about the north. It's Russia. And it talks about these nations that are going to align with Russia and attack Israel. At the top of the list is Iran. We'll get to this next week. It's too exciting. But we'll get to it. But the, the, you want me to finish it now? I can't finish it now. I'll never get to my Bible study. We'll get to it. But there's going to be this invasion. And, 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 and the players that are there, listen... You're talking about Sudan and Ethiopia and Turkey and, and, and these players that line themselves up with, with Russia to attack Israel. You know, early scholars in the second, third, fourth century, they would read this and go, doesn't make any sense. These countries have nothing in common. That today they do. In 600 A.D. forward, there was a movement, a religious movement called Islam that came on the scene. And all of those countries that line themselves now with Russia to attack Israel, that's what they have in common. That battle is yet to come. It hasn't happened. As you read through that, that battle, it sounds nuclear. There's professional grave markers and professional grave bearers and all that. But, but all of this is happening with this little tiny nation that you could put 14 Californias in called Israel. This this group of people who were brought back in the end times and made a nation once again, just as Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew chapter 24. You should be looking at this going, that's amazing. this This is fascinating stuff. Peter, in our description of things here, as we look at the day of the Lord in verse 10 of 2 Peter chapter 3, it, it Again, it begins with the rapture of the church. And then it goes into the tribulation period. And it goes into then the second coming. Then it goes into the millennial reign of Christ. Then the new creation of the, 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 the new heavens and the new earth. But all of this, all of this happens as he says in verse 10, suddenly. It begins when we least expect it. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in The night. In one of our previous studies, I was able to just talk about how it really begins to kick off with the rapture of the church. And and we we talked about the rapture of the church where, if you're not familiar with that, that is where where the father is going to tell his son, who is the groom and we are the bride, go get your bride. In 1 Thessalonians 4, note takers, 16 through 18, talking about the rapture, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. If you've not had a good, clear um, teaching on the rapture of the church, Go online, go to the app, and go to that study. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16 through 18. We break that all down. It's a great, just clear description of what the rapture will be. It is what Jesus talked about to the disciples when they were troubled about him leaving. In John's gospel in chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, he's like, hey, let, let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I'm God. But in my Father's, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place that where I am, you may be with me also. That's the idea. Revelation chapter 4, we, we see the picture. Um, really, you move into the third, the third section of the book of, of Revelation. The, the, the second section of the book of Revelation, really, it, 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 it ends. In chapter 3, it ends with the end of church age chapter 1, you, you see the glorified, exalted Christ. Chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the church, the church age. Then it ends. It ends. And then all of a sudden we see John in heaven in chapters 4 and 5. A door opens up and there's a trumpet. And, and the church is now in heaven with him in, in chapters 4 and 5. And, and, and in our study last time, in End Time Insights Part A, Part 1, we, we gave several reasons why we believe the rapture, biblically, is supported as coming first, then the tribulation period. Time doesn't allow us to repeat all that this morning, but, but th- th- go to that study. But it opens up in chapter 4 with, after these things, the Greek, metatauta, after the completion of the church age, you now see the church in heaven. And then beginning... In chapters 4 and 5, the churches in heaven, we see them there. Then in chapters 6 through 19, the focus is on earth and what is happening on earth. This is also part of the end times, and it's the tribulation. God's pouring out his wrath upon the Christ-rejecting. Those that had rejected Jesus Christ and were not following Jesus Christ were not raptured by Jesus Christ. The rapture is the groom, Jesus, coming for his bride. At the end of the tribulation period, we get to the latter part of chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, where all before that he's been focusing on the earth and the judgment of God upon the earth, and all of a sudden we see the groom coming with his bride back to the earth, and and we'll get to that at the end of the study, but that's a second coming. The tribulation period. An event that is going to happen. These things are going to happen on the earth. A seven-year period of history that is yet to happen. In Daniel chapter 12, it's called the time of trouble. In Jeremiah 30 verse 7, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. In Isaiah chapter 34 verses 1 through 4, you might even have some Jewish friends that are like, just... Hey, explain this all to me in the Old Testament. I'm going to give you guys a lot of Old Testament scriptures supporting the end times today. But in in Isaiah 34, 1 through 4, talking about the suffering that will come during that time period, it says this, Draw near, O nations, to hear. Let the earth and all it contains hear. For the Lord's indignation is against all nations and his wrath against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has, he has given them over to slaughter, excuse me. So their slain will be thrown out, and their corpses will, will give off a stench, and the mountains will be drenched with their blood, and all the hosts of heaven will wear away, and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. All their host will, will also wither away as a leaf withers from the vine. And or as one withers from the fig tree. This judgment in the tribulation period begins in Revelation chapter 6 with Jesus in chapter 5. You know, John's weeping because he sees the effects of sin and Satan as he has been the prince of the power of the air. He's just had his, his way with the earth and, and he's, he's weeping because he, he, there's, a, there's a title deed involved. And he's like, who's worthy to open up the scroll? And in, 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 in Hebrew culture, title deeds, you know, you'd write up the transition between me and you. We had this deal. we roll up the scroll. And then we would seal up the title deed for land or property or whatnot with seven seals. And what John was seeing in chapter 5 was the title deed of the earth. It had been forfeited or handed over because of sin. And, and, and he's looking at the consequences of sin. He's like, who's worthy to, 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 to now open the seal? And in order to be worthy, he looks and he sees the lamb who was slain. And it's, it's at that point that you come into chapter 6, and Jesus begins to loose the seals. And with each of those seals that he unloosens, there is a corresponding event, an, an event of judgment that is unleashed upon the earth. And because these are real events that are really going to happen, I'm going to walk you through this. I'm going to walk you through what the future of this earth holds. These are events that are really going to happen. If you're a Christian, you're saved, you're born again, you're you're, you're a real child of God, you're in the family of God, you're not going to see this. So we're reading about something we won't experience. If you're here this morning or listening online and you're like, ah, you know, I'm so not into Jesus, I'm not going to follow him, I'm not going to accept him. I want you to read a little bit about your future. Because if you're alive when these events begin to unfold on earth, this is what's going to unfold on this earth. The first seal that opens up is a white horse. and and, and And a very interesting individual surfaces. It's the Antichrist. He is now on the scene. We'll come back to him in a minute. The second seal comes a red horse. And it brings world war peace is taken from the earth the third seal is a black horse and it brings famine the fourth seal is undone it's a pale horse brings just massive death through famine and pestilence and and just horrific events that begin to unfold upon the earth the results of these first four horsemen results in the death of one quarter of the entire earth's population the fifth seal is open, and we see an attack upon the tribulation saints. What's that mean? Well, that means that if, if the rapture were to happen today, and you were singing that last song, we will worship. If you were moved by that, if that you were awake and you were alert, and we're going to see him, we're going to stand before the throne, we're going to worship him, that's you. That's you. If you're alive, and you're, you're like, you're, you're waiting for his return. That's you. You 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 will be raptured. You will be. Now, what will happen when when in this sanctuary? Let's say the rapture happens in the next two minutes. I can assure you that this pulpit will be empty. I have that assurance. I have that conviction. This pulpit will be like boom. There'll be papers flying in the air. And 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 prayerfully, this will be an empty sanctuary. Prayerfully, every one of you listening online, whether you're driving right now or in your car, sitting in your house, your house will be vacant. But there's a good chance this sanctuary may not be empty. There's a chance that many of your households will not be vacant. And for you that might find yourself, you'll hear the trump. You'll see bodily, just people gone. I would advise you to walk up here and pick up my notes and finish this Bible study with whoever is remaining. And I guarantee you, you will have one attentive audience. But there will be what they call tribulation saints. John sees them crying out to the Lord to deliver them. It might be people who thought they were saved, but just went through the motions, but never made Jesus the Lord of their life. He never... Enthroned their life. They just said a prayer. They never surrendered to Him. They lived their life as if He didn't exist. But then, relatives, grandmas, friends that they knew that were serious about Jesus are gone, and they're going to wake up then. And there might be that moment in those hours to follow where they just come to an awareness of who Jesus is, and they surrender their life, and they're now saved. And they will be tribulation. They will go through the tribulation. And it says that when the fifth seal is unleashed or undone, that the Antichrist, he just there's just this whole like against the tribulation saints. John sees them crying out to the Lord to avenge them. They're, they're, they're loyal followers of the Lord. They refuse to take what the Antichrist, when he rises to power, he's going to have a mark. He will set up, as the Antichrist rises to power, a one-world monetary system. And the only way you're going to be able to buy and sell is if you take his mark, the mark of the beast, the 666. But once you do that, you're doomed. You've, 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 you've sealed your fate. And, and, and so there will be those who refuse to take the mark of the beast now, it's going to be a rough life. But, but, but that's why John's like, blessed are those who endure. That's what Jesus even says, blessed are those who would endure that. But there will be those tribulate people that get saved during the tribulation period, and they won't have it easy. They will stand for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ, it says there uh, as well. They're not going to give in. They're not going to cave in. Six seals open, and world chaos. Let me read. There's a great earthquake. And the sun became black like sackcloth the moon became like blood the stars from heaven fell the earth was shaken by a mighty wind then the sky receded as a scroll when it was rolled up every mountain and island was moved out of its place think of the shaking that would go on with the sixth seal being pulled back the judgment upon the earth and then the kings of the earth great men, mighty men, rich men, the commanders and even slave and free they're going to like try and hide themselves in the caves and in mountains. And they're going to say, man, rocks fall on us. We want to die. But they're not going to be able to die. Seventh seal is open. And that introduces us to a series of judgments. They're called the trumpet judgments. Revelations 8 through 9. The first judgment sounds, and and there's hail that's followed by, by fire. A third of the trees and all the greenery around the earth is burned up. The second trumpet sounds, a third of the sea becomes blood. A third of the sea, life dies off. A third of the ships of the sea is destroyed. The third trumpet sounds, a third of the fresh water is contaminated. Fourth trumpet, a third of the lights of all the heavenly bodies are blacked out, the sun, the moon, the stars, and whatnot. And so these first four judgments, they, they deal with like natural things that bring on judgment. But then you step into the third or, or, or four, uh, the, the last three, and it's, Supernatural judgment. Chapter 9, these hellish demonic beasts arise from the bottomless pit and go around stinging man. And again, men want to die, but they can't. The, the six trumpet sounds, and there's these four fallen angels, these demons, they arise who are prepared for the exact day and hour and, and month, and they're unleashed upon the earth and are given an army to attack the earth. These fire and brimstone and, and, and smoke as their chief weapons. They have serpent-like tails, and and, and they are commissioned to slay one-third of humankind. And that means that up until this point in the tribulation period, half of the world's population will be destroyed, will be killed. And yet the remaining men on the earth, in Revelation chapter 9, verse 20, will not repent. You get to Revelation chapter 10, you're halfway through the tribulation period. And then it really gets serious. Chapters 10 through 14 describes an event that will take place halfway through the tribulation period. If you have a Bible, turn with me over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and I want to just read briefly about this event. Again, end time insights. Things that are going to happen. Things that have yet to happen. Things that will happen in the end times. 2 Thessalonians Chapter 2, now, brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by the word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. People were running around in those days and and, and erroneously saying, oh, this has already happened, but it had yet to happen. So, verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Note that. The the, the Greek word, it it speaks of apostasia. In the end times, there's going to be a great obvious, just a number of people falling away, walking away from the faith. Then it says, and the, the man of sin, which is the Antichrist, you can put that note in your Bible, is revealed the son of perdition. He has many different names, but this is him, the Antichrist. Verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. This is going to happen halfway through the tribulation period. Okay? Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you about these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains. And notice, circle the word he, and notice that the H is capitalized. Only he who now restrains will do so until he, capital H again, is taken out of the way. We're going to come back to that in a minute. And then the lawlessness, the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of of his coming, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Let's tie this up. When the Antichrist comes on the scene, Revelation chapter 6, comes to power. The book of Revelation talks about many things that he will do. But we also know, as we read here in Paul's writings, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that he's going to do something where he's going, to, he's going to like step into a, a setting where he's going to say that he is God and demand that people worship him as God. Okay. We move back into the Old Testament. We come to Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, and it talks about the Antichrist. There's a, a, pro- a prophecy that Daniel has given, a vision that he has given, this prophecy about the, the, the Antichrist rising to power, and that he does something as it relates to the nation of Israel. This is yet to happen. And what he will do is he will will come to Israel and he'll have a part, he'll do something that will help them reinstate their daily sacrifices. Let me just put this in your page. This is very important to understand. Today, Israel does not practice daily sacrifices. If you're an Orthodox Jew, you do not practice daily sacrifices today if you talk to your average orthodox Jew and you'd say how do you deal with the whole atonement thing they would tell you by doing good works for people making personal sacrifices for people and and that's that's kind of until we're back to where we can have daily sacrifices in the temple that's that's kind of how we deal with the atonement thing well in order for a Jew today in order for them to practice daily sacrifices they would need a temple we already noted and in 70 A.D., the temple was destroyed. If you go to with me to, to Jerusalem, I'll, I'll take you up on the Temple Mount. You'll see a mosque up there. You'll see a monument to an Imam by the name of o- o- uh, o- Onan or Omar, excuse me. But but you won't see the temple. The temple, since 70 A.D., has been gone. So some way, somehow, the Antichrist, when he rises to power, he's going to do something as it relates to. Israel making a bit of a covenant with them um, and, and helping reinstate their daily sacrifices which would involve them rebuilding their temple. I said this in the first study. I'm going to say it again. It could be quite possible right now that the Antichrist is alive and living on this earth. Very, very possible. It could be that in our lifetime we could see Israel come together and form a plan where they could begin to build the third temple. The temple, again, that Daniel says the Antichrist will walk into, once he's helped them, you know, reinstate their daily sacrifices, once he's helped them build their temple, that one time there will be this event that he's part of the Antichrist called the abomination of desolation. Jesus talks about it as well in Matthew chapter 24. And it's basically this. The Antichrist, for three and a half years, the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, will be seen by the Jews as their Messiah. The following, this is he. When I'm in Israel and I'm talking to rabbis and I'm talking to other Jewish scholars and, and you begin to talk to them about, hey, who will your Messiah be based on scriptures, they will describe everything the Bible says about the Antichrist. They're looking for a political liberator. He is not God. They are looking for someone that, that is going to be a world leader, someone that will come and, and help them rebuild their temple, Some, someone that will come and put Judaism back on the map. That's what they're looking for right now. Everything that the, that the Antichrist will be, they're going to see as their Messiah. And they're going to go, we're going to follow this guy. You say, Lance, how real is this? Well, one of the favorite stops for me on our Israel tour is a place called the Temple Institute. And for probably the last 40 years or so, there's a group of zealous Jews, a growing number of Jews that have raised millions and millions of dollars. They don't have a temple, but they need a menorah for the temple. They need an altar for the temple. They need the table of showbread for the temple. They need the trumpets. They need the lever. They need need all of... The instruments that will be used in the temple, they need that. So for the last 40 years, they've been saving their money, and they've been building this and constructing this. And you could go to what looks like a museum, and you can see all of these instruments that are going to be used in the third temple that is yet to be built. They're already there. They even have the priestly garment that the high priest will wear. They have his crown. It's solid gold. They have a menorah on display right outside in this big old thick, Plexiglass thing that costs tens of millions of dollars. It's going to be in the temple. It's all there But you also need Those that would minister in the temple You're talking about hundreds of people that would be there daily working in this temple I've met individuals sitting down having a meal telling people who I am and why I'm there And I've had them look at me and say, you know, I'm from the line of Kohan And and that means that I'm I'm connected to the Levites and I'm here to get measured for my servant garments. I'm here to get fitted for what I will wear when the third temple is built, and we will have daily sacrifices once again. This has been going on for years. We're over here in America going, what's going on? That's what's going on. Halfway through, it says, The man of sin, Paul says here in verse 3, is going to be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, and so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. We are there. We are here. (laughs) This, This scripture is being fulfilled in, in, in our day and, and in, in our age. Revelation 13, the Antichrist is going to rise to power, most likely out of Rome. He's going to gain international recognition. He will lead a confederation of ten nations, probably nations out of the old Roman Empire. And as we saw, Satan will give him his power. He's going to breed... Wonder in the eyes of the world. And you know that's going to happen? You go through Revelation 13, you, okay, you realize this guy's mortally wounded. It's actually in the Greek, it's interpreted as he's close to death. He was, there's a, going to be an assassination attempt on this guy. And here's another scripture Zechariah 11, verse 17, talks about this Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall be completely withered, and his right eye should be totally blinded. So whatever assassination attempt takes place, it's going to look like he's just taken out. He's going to be blinded. His his right arm is going to be paralyzed and whatnot. But then in verse 3, he's miraculously healed. The world's going to see this. They're going to marvel. The word is thalmazo. They're going to be like, whoa. Like stunned in wonder is the idea. And man, it says in verse 4, will worship this guy. Something that Satan has always wanted. Well, now he will now get and receive through the beast. Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, talks about his rise to power. He's described there as the little horn who rises from obscurity to a place of prominence. Verse 8 says, And there in in this horn were we're, we're his eyes like the eyes of man, speaking of his intelligence. This guy's going to be incredibly intelligent. And, And a mouth speaking pompous words. In other words, he's going to have great oratory skills, but very proud, very pompous. Verse 20 of Daniel 7, it speaks about the draw, the lure, the appeal that he is going to have on the entire world. Verse 21 reveals his relentless hostility against God's people, against the Christians. In Daniel 7, 23, it shows that his kingdom will be different from all of the other kingdoms in the world because his kingdom will rule the entire world. Verse 27, he's going to speak against the Most High. He'll make alterations in times and in laws. He'll replace all of the world's religious systems with a with, with system that, that worships and honors him. This also is what Paul is talking about in, in, in 2 Thessalonians there, where, where the Antichrist, he opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. And that's going to be the abomination of desolation. It's, it's, it's this, the Jews are going to look at that and they're going to be, that's the worst thing. And they're going to they're gonna flee. And if you read through Matthew chapter 24, Jesus brings up the prophecy out of Daniel. He goes, when you see the abomination of desolation, when you see halfway through the tribulation period, this guy walk into the temple and go, worship me, he's like, you better hope it's not on the Sabbath, and you better get out of Dodge. And we'll talk about that. We only got halfway through this in the first study, so we're going to get sometime soon. But we'll, we'll talk about that. But they're going to flee to Petra, and all that ties into the second coming of Jesus Christ. But this is who he is, and this is what he's going to do. So, in the end times, we have the rapture, the seven year tribulation period. You and I will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19, verse 9. Tribulation will begin. Halfway through there will be the abomination of desolation. The Jews will flee. They will hide. The end of the tribulation period will be the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's kind of where we are. We're halfway through. There's a lot more to go. We'll talk about it in our next time together. I want to finish with one observation out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 7, verse 6. And now you know what is restraining this guy. What's restraining this guy from coming on the scene that he might be revealed in his own time? Because the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. In other words, it's all in motion. This part, this one piece of the puzzle referring to the end times that will happen in the end times, the Antichrist coming on the scene It's already at work, Paul says. It's part of God's plan. Only he, capital H, who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless lawless one will be revealed. So what is that saying? It's saying that God is going to hold him back with this restraining force on the earth and most scholars believe I'm not admitting to be a scholar but I line up with these scholars that believe the restraining force the he is the Holy Spirit living in the lives and living through the lives of true believers like you and me and when he the Holy Spirit is taken away raptured out of this place if you will as the rapture would take place now the lawless one, now the Antichrist, will be revealed. So we're living in these very, very exciting times. It's sobering, but yet for the believer it's exciting because the, the, the Bible as we know it, And the redemptive plan of God as we know it that lives within us and burns within us and and calls us into his son and, and, and just drives us to want to line up our lives more with his son. We're seeing it culminate. We're seeing it come to that place where our return is very near. When I started this study a few weeks back, I said there was a time, there was a day, I was in the church in the 70s where, man, almost every concert ended with, an end times Bible study. Every end of the year ended with a prophecy update. Anytime you, 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 you know, someone got up and, and, and taught, you know, that we would, at the, they'd be going to talk about, they'd say, say, say Maranatha and the church would yell back at you, Maranatha. We don't do that now because nobody knows what Maranatha means. Maranatha. It's like singing Noel, Noel, Noel all the time at Christmas time. We don't know what Noel means, you know. Just sing it. But, you're going to look that up right now. No, well, no, what does that mean? But it, it's, it's, it's come. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And some of you right now, as maybe you've, you've heard this, you're a little more excited than when you first started. You're like, yeah, Lord, let's get the party started. He's already got your place setting set at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Your name is already on the list if you're a child of God. At least one amen. amen. Oh, okay, there we go. First study's like yeah. You're like eh, eh. Lists, place settings. It's, where's my buffet today? You know. Are you tracking with me? All right. All right let's stand up. Stand up. Let's jump. Maybe he's coming. I don't know. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. There are so many people who are curious about the end, and they're being told that the end of the world is something other than what the Bible says. And it doesn't lead to hope. See, our, our end is the blessed hope. It's the blessed hope. If you're not saved here, you're not walking with Jesus here, you'd be like, Whew, man, are you done yet, buddy? But if you're saved here, you're born again, you're like, This is good. This is, this is the road I'm on. This is my future. And I am not subject to wrath. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I am looking for Jesus Christ, Amen. my Lord and Savior, and my soon-coming King. So, Mead, that was your cue. So there he is. Here, there, or in the air? Love you. God bless you.